0: Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today, I've caught Louis Grenier. Quite simply, one of the most contrarian and maverick marketers on the planet, Louis is a no-fluff Frenchman and a frere from another mayor on a mission to rid the world of marketing bullshit. His hugely successful marketing podcast, Everyone Hates Marketers, has over 1 million downloads and includes chats with industry giants like Seth Godin and Mark Ritson. Louis believes in radical differentiation and is most at home teaching people how to stand the fuck out. Taking the fight to self-limiting beliefs, sleazy tactics, and boringly long podcast guest intros. (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) Regarding radical differentiation, Louis says you can't stand out and appeal to everyone. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome, Louis.
1: Bonjour, bonjour. Uh, What a beautiful intro. I'm going to take it back. I love intros. I love them, Uh, especially when I get complimented this way. (laughs)
0: don't we all don't we all it's very rare for me right seven quick fire questions Louis Mac or PC Mac Paris or Dublin Dublin ooh let's zoom in Cronenberg or Guinness Guinness Seth Godin or Mark Ritson Seth Godin be different or be distinct (laughs) you fucking asshole (laughs) be different (laughs) right two more two more Burger King or straight up burgers (sighs) Trader Burgers. Nice. Right, last one then. We've got famous Louis's. Louis, Louis Fourteenth, or Louis Armstrong? Louis Armstrong. You sailed those, Louis.
1: Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't difficult like you, you said it would.
2: So
0: Let's <laughs> <laughs> try harder. Well, Louis, um, we're, we're delighted to have you on the show. As you probably know, we like to um, celebrate the roundabout and often remarkable route that guests take in their career. So can you just quickly tell us what your first ever job was and then what was your first proper marketing gig
1: my first job was picking uh corn out of fields in my village when i was 14 15 so that's kind of a rite of passage for teenagers who want to have a bit of money in the summertime in france so you would you would you would get you would get into this the back of this tractor owned by this like farmer who's just been doing corn all, all, all of his life which like is is a good thing to do like we need corn in our life but it's just it's just funny and so you get into this trailer in the back of the tractor and you're like 25 teenagers you know struggling to fit in society in a sense who need money and you wake up at like 5 a.m. and you go into this back of this tractor all the way to this fucking field that is just gigantic rows upon rows of corns. and The only job is to pick the flower. It's not really a flower. It's more of a, it's not yet a flower. But anyway, pick the the top thing on top of each corn plant. And you can imagine the movement where you just, you're barely high enough to fucking be able to reach it. And you go at it for like six, seven hours in the scorching sun because you do it in the summer. And you get paid. I don't remember, but it's actually paid quite all right. So that made it quite popular. So that was my first job. My first marketing job was very similar. No, it wasn't. My first marketing <laughs> job was when I was literally begging and dreaming about joining the marketing industry. I, I managed to get a job at a mobile marketing startup here in Dublin. Uh, I stayed there for almost three years uh, and I learned a lot there. I learned what to do and not to do did a lot of sales as well towards the end touch on a bit on everything. Um, so I started as kind of a marketing executive and then moved up to overseeing marketing and sales but not for so long either So yeah that, that was the first experience of of like finally touching the the dream I had
0: nice yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, and and what took you to Dublin originally then?
1: So it was an internship I I, I studied business uh, for one year I did a bachelor degree in a university in France. And in France, internships are very popular, uh, especially abroad, like you're supposed to do that at the end of every year. So this school had contact with French companies based abroad. And one of the top ones apparently was uh, to work for this uh, car manufacturer based in Dublin, a French car manufacturer. And so I arrived there. I was supposed to stay here for like three months. And I stayed and I've been here for like 10 years.
0: And then, at what stage then did you decide you wanted to start the "Everyone Hates Marketers" podcast?
1: Oh, mate, uh, it's you know I wish I could tell you like it came to me one night and I just I just did it. But I think it's it's a life almost of a lifelong mission that I didn't realize it was one until it kind of surfaced out of my brain. You know, so in high school I got called once uh, in. Intellectual terrorist by one of my teacher, because I was const- constantly contradicting him, trying to find flaws in his thinking. And you mentioned the word contrarian in your lovely intro, and that's kind of that's kind of who I am. Like I like to be contrarian for the sake of doing the exercise of like challenging the conventions and seeing what what can be done, you know. And so that started really there this podcast. It took me years to develop kind of a thinking around marketing and why I, I found it to be mostly bullshit and. A few years back, I, I launched my first agency, which failed miserably. Uh, but one of the first things I started to talk about was the light side of marketing versus the dark side of marketing. So you can see how shitty that was. But it's it's like anything, you know, it's easy to look at this podcast and say, oh, he did why one million downloads without any ads on his own. Like, I want to do the same. But I think what you need to look at is the, you know, when you look at the hockey, hockey stick curve, you know? They people look at the blade part, which is the, the 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 part that goes up very fast, but they forget to look at the shaft. That's the name of it. The shaft is the long, fucking years upon years upon years of trying stuff that never works and 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 until it does.
0: Yeah. No, I was actually going to quote you on that. You said you can't expect hockey stick growth without going through that flat part, the shaft. Then. So what? So what did that flat part look like for you? It was, it was mostly
1: like, so working in my first, uh, in the first startup, discovering a few things, like discovering that it's not because you remove a few fields in a form online that you're going to increase conversion rates. Like discovering that the basic knowledge that you can learn in on blog posts and stuff is just bullshit. Um, and that to sell something to someone, y- y- you need a bit more than that. So it was a lot of identity, like, crisis in a sense like researching and and, and understanding myself a bit better like what 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 does what do I like to do what 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 does give me energy what do I believe what am I fighting against and I used to spend some time doing startup weekends in Dublin where like it's this sort of competition done over a weekend where you learn how to pitch an idea and come up with startups and like that's the kind of stuff I was doing you know like I was just very I was I didn't didn't really know what I wanted to do next. Uh, I didn't understand myself very well. And so it took me years and years. And, and frankly, in terms of mental health, I wasn't in the right place uh, for years. Like this, this, this flat part is basically this. It's like anxiety a lot, like really not knowing what to do and, and having this huge anxiety uh, flaring up from time to time and not even knowing that it was anxiety until I, I went to talk to a therapist to understand that, oh, actually I have anxiety. And that's something I can like work with. And so, yeah, mental health was a big thing. And so that's what it looks like. It's like testing a few things, launching something, paying like $300 for a logo. And then never really launching it because I was deep down. I was too scared of, of, of failing. All the way to finally starting to see that people like the way I was interviewing people when I organized a, a small event in my local chamber of commerce where... I interviewed two CEOs of local companies, bootstrap companies that I liked and admire. And the feedback at the end was overwhelmingly the fact that I, they really liked my interview style, people in the room, because I did it live in front of people. And I didn't know that. I didn't know I, I was good at interviewing people. I didn't know that it would give me such energy. So I think overall, this flat part, to summarize, is kind of a looking back. It's me falling down, but always standing back up.
0: Yeah, well said. I mean, you have to value patience in marketing. I think that's the, you know, that's one of the universal truths. But I, I mean, I think you probably agree that marketers don't really realise that that things take time. So during that flat part, there must have been moments, I suppose, where if you zoomed in, like your Chamber of Commerce interviews, there might have been a couple of little peaks here and there. When I say little, I mean relative to the 1 million downloads. I'm not trying to devalue that at, you know, at all. But is that what keeps you going then? Because I think lots of people listening to this will be in their own circumstances and situations where they might be in the right mindset some days and not the other days. What is it that gave you that persistence or that encouragement to keep going? If anything, that's even assuming there was anything.
1: I think uh, I'm very stubborn and I know that life is short. I, I have I have like a few kind of family circumstances that make me made me realize very early on that I'm very lucky to have, legs two arms and be in good health and i come from a middle class privileged background to be honest you know i'm a white dude i never really faced any like hardship in my life and and that made me realize i fucking need to fucking keep going like like if if i can't do it then like and so this fight what, what keeps me going the most honestly is i love i love the fight i love the fucking fight i love to just Fight against something that is established and conventions, and that gives me that keeps me going for hours, like for days and, <laughs> and weeks and months and years. Um, that's the main thing, as well, you know.
0: Yeah, one of one of the best things, as soon as you said about having a you know a, a privileged upbringing and being a white um, a white guy, my um, I spoke to a an Ardman animator, uh, a wonderful, incredibly creative, alarmingly and annoyingly talented chap called Gavin Strange, and 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 he talked about what he teaches his own son Sullivan who I believe is around three years old but he's he's very mindful of making sure Sullivan knows that growing up in this world as a white man is like playing a computer game in easy level mode.
1: Exactly and you need to understand that but just to go back to one thing you you mentioned that briefly you mentioned the how do you kind of convince others to to be patient and whatnot Um, and I think it's really. I think it's easy for me to say because yeah, I could always hold back and go back to my parents if, if shit hit the fan, or I, I have some savings now and you know I, I can take some risk more than others. Uh, if you're listening to this and you are like an in-house marketer working for a big Fortune five hundred company, um, patience is not is not part of, of the vocabulary of the company because you function in a quarterly earning type deal and 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 you know sales, sales, sales and target, target, target is the only thing you hear. So. It's there are contexts where you you absolutely can't be patient, or at least it's extremely extremely difficult to just even mention the word. And there are other contexts where it's much easier. So it really depends, and and you need to feed your family, and if you have kids and whatnot, like and 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 it's it's not as easy as I would probably mention in this podcast. Sometimes you have circumstances that make it difficult to just be patient. Like you need money now, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why does everyone hate marketers?
1: To quote Seth Godin, because we are selfish, lying scum who just think <laughs> of ourselves. No, I, I think he went when I asked him this question, and he said it. He, he I was very surprised because, like, it's one of the first time I'm hearing. I heard him cursing and being extremely vocal and even very direct, like, which is not something I was very, I was expecting to be frank. But my answer is slightly more, is slightly more subtle. I think. Everyone hates marketers, not because of marketers, uh, but because of the context and circumstances that make some marketers have to use short-term tactics in order to to meet their target and and get a salary, Um, because they are forced to sell a shitty product, uh, a commodity, uh, an average product that looks like everyone else's, and they have to use some sort of shitty growth uh, techniques in order to make ends meet and not everyone can work in a business and understand that a good fucking product is the is the foundation of a good, good marketing so in retrospect the, i love the title because it's super contrarian people get it but they know that i don't blame marketers i really blame the context and what i'm hoping is to change the culture of it and contribute to it slightly where i want to show that you can do good marketing and serve people and actually help them do better and make money. Um, so that's the kind of the paradox I'm trying to help resolve a bit.
0: The sad truth is, it's not an inaccurate statement. I, I hugely enjoyed your marketing meetup talk, which we'll link to in this episode, and encourage everyone to to enjoy it too. But I was lucky enough to uh, give a talk for Joe recently with with Ryan, and we referred to the most recent Ipsos Veracity Index. To show that there is a growing lack of trust in in from the general public in marketing i mean it's 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 depressing it really is we're below politicians we're below Boris and his assortment of muppets and we down i think it was down from seventeen percent like we're literally bottom of the table, like right? not even in a relegation scrap it's um you know
1: I, I'm not that, as pessimistic as you are, and I tell you why i think because people think marketing is advertising and they think that the only bad marketing bad advertising they notice is the bad one like so the only advertising they notice is the shitty one uh people as you know i'm not teaching you anything i'm just saying out loud people don't like to be sold to and they only notice shitty campaigns but good marketing is everywhere and good marketing influences everyone's decision day to day but they don't seem to think it's marketing so uh, honestly if they knew what marketing was truly a bad I don't think the answer would be the same and frankly the same for politicians because politicians you mentioned uh, the good old uh Boris Johnson they are like at the top of the top of the politician class and they're not like the, those local politicians that if frankly most of them I, I, locally at least seem to do a good job like they're not just all fucking corrupt but when people think of politicians they straight away it's Boris Johnson in the UK or Emmanuel Macron in France. And for marketers, straight away they think fucking advertiser and the shitty ad campaign and stealing our data. So I guess that graph to me, that research, speaks to how humans are just our brains are made to put stuff into boxes and simplify and and, and that's why. That's that's my the silver lining.
0: You're right to make that point, of course, and you're right about politicians as well. You think of the poster boys. I I doubt Boris has ever been called a poster boy, but (laughs) you're only going to think and and complain about negative things. By um, this has just led me off on a slight tangent. I used to one of my good friends, who, funnily enough, I plugged on a recent pod with David Granger, because he he was an ex-pro skater, lovely bloke, but just mad as a box of frogs. He buttered the kitchen once, like every layer, every surface in the kitchen had a layer of butter when we came down in the morning. He was he was nuts, but one. Thing he used to do which I also loved was you know those signs you get on the back of big vans and transit lorries that says how am I driving yeah he used to call them up and <laughs> wax lyrical about how brilliantly they were driving he used to <laughs> praise the driving he used to say you know he's signaling perfectly he's <laughs> he's considerate of other drivers. And I used to just picture, I used to love picturing the person on the other end of the phone because they would never, ever get calls like that. They only get people criticising. <laughs> I think there's a parallel there. You're right. People People probably think that they think they dislike advertising.
1: That's a brilliant analogy because that's that's how human brains work. And that's something I love to lean on. Like The first principle of marketing and psychology like, will never change. And I frankly don't like when people say marketing is always changing, you need to adapt. I don't agree with that. There are processes that will never change and I know I'm preaching to the choir here but there are processes and and first principles that will never change and one of them is the fact that humans are drawn to negative shit. That's how we are made to survive. That's why our brain is made this way. That's how we made it all the way from here to like uh, from 5 million or so years ago where Homo sapiens started or or whatever species behind before us. All the way to today, so this is why people tend to like speak about and fucking complain uh, instead of praising the drivers. That's a very good analogy. Yeah,
0: totally. I mean, and it's no, it's no surprise that when I think numerous times people have tried to launch good news newspapers. Newspapers that only report and, and they never worked for that precise reason. But I, I also know you're 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 certainly a, you're a huge fan and always have been of, of, of psychology, which you bring up there. I've always been quite surprised actually in the last ten years. There's been a kind of surge and almost a renaissance of sorts with with the focus and attention that psychology has. But psychology is mostly, or entirely, the study of human behaviour. And if you're a marketer that isn't isn't interested or keeping one eye on that, then there's there's something something's gone wrong.
1: Yeah, foundations. It's just like, I just really struggle to understand how marketers can do their job without those foundations. It's like, it's like building a fucking house without the concrete base and all of that. Like you are just going to sink to the ground and you're not going to be able to open your doors and you're fucked. Like, so it's, I understand that you might be extremely specialized. Like if you're listening to this and you're like a copywriter that specializes in like B2B SaaS and And you think that it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's, it's, it's not true. Like every specialty, you need to have a layer of foundations and don't, I I mean, don't subscribe to this thought that is like marketing is changing so fast. You can't keep up because that, I don't know how people manage to manage the anxiety and their this massive FOMO day-to-day with that thinking. Like, it just, that's what I used to believe. And it used to just create so much tension and stress.
0: That FOMO is very real and can be very dangerous. So you're right, you're certainly right to bring that. Before I ask you the next question, you and in case anyone is unsure who's listening, you have recently taken Everyone Hates Marketers over as a as a full-time position now. So you're solely focused on that. You have some hugely successful classes which you offer on radical differentiation so can you just tell us what is radical differentiation and how is it an, an antidote to all of this marketing bullshit that we're we're swimming in at times
1: yeah it, it's a business strategy these guys a positioning method to make you the only in the market uh, for for a specific group of people so that make you the only choice not just the best choice and it really touches on product, price, place, promotion, the basics, the four P's. It is it is a business strategy. It's really a business strategy to say, you know what, to grow market share and to try to tickle the giants in a specific category, we're going to have to do something drastically different in one way, shape or form, or else we're just going to seek obscurity and just sit there with all of the other people just not taking any risk and, and doing average things for average people. So it's... It's equally a business strategy and, and a psychology uh, and psychological uh, challenge, I would say, because it's really mindset is a big deal when it comes to that. So, I a few years back when everyone has marketers started, um, I really didn't have any idea that it would work. I just did something for myself. I just listed down all the conventions of traditional marketing podcasts and fucking tried to change as many as I could because I never listened to any marketing podcast i couldn't stick to the the bullshit like i couldn't i couldn't hear the host just complimenting the guests and 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 thinking that their job was just to make the the guests look good While in fact to me the job was to teach something to the to the listeners so but then i struggled we were talking about fighting marketing bullshit was which was always kind of the same the same concept for the podcast but then i struggled because i started to think okay i want to do something on my own again i want to you know, continue the fight and spend more time on it while well, I was working full time for for hodja, uh, which is a marketing analytics uh, web analytics uh, company and I struggled because I was like, "I'm not gonna go out on my own and say, "Hey, I'm a marketing consultant, and I basically teach you to fight marketing bullshit like it just it just didn't land it just didn't work, so I did a lot of work internally like in my own head and looking back at past projects and things that energized me, the type of episode that I recorded I really loved where there was actually a need in the market. Um, and I asked myself so many questions. Um, reread all the books I love to read, like on 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 like on positioning and differentiation and distinctiveness and whatever else and fundamentals of marketing until I landed on, you know what? What I fucking love to do, what really, really gives me the highest level of energy, what I, I could talk about for hours and hours and hours is to take some fucking risk and do something different and have fun in the process. Uh, even, and and it gets results, you know? So I landed on this term that Martin Neumayer coined in his book, Zag, which I know you're a fan of as well. And he talked about radical differentiation. and I fucking love the term so much. I I was playing around it for a long time, thinking of positioning. Do I want to just talk about positioning, but it just didn't land for some reason uh, because I didn't never really like this idea of positioning is what you do once you have a CD product. You know, I never liked this like concept of, oh no! All you need to do is is once you have your, you take the product that you are forced to have as a marketer, and then you just position it and tell a better story, and then boom, you're you're gonna stand out. And just, I just I couldn't I couldn't do that. I I need to feel like I can have an impact on the fucking thing you offer, not just the way you fucking market it, right? So anyway, long answer to say that all that led very nicely to say, I help you, I fight marketing bullshit and I do that by like basically teaching and and practicing uh, radical differentiation every day, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's a great answer. I think at the start you said it was a strategy disguised as a positioning method.
1: A business strategy, like, so it's it's an entire business thing, which is in my, the few clients I take 101, I, it's either the CEO, the founder, or sometimes the CMO, like senior marketer, but very, it's never like an executive or whatnot, because it, it, it comes from the very top. And that's what I like about it. It's like, you get a seat at the leadership table. You're not just like, hey, marketer, just communicate that thing, market that thing. No, fuck that. You can't take an average product or commodity and and try to stand out like on top of it. It just can't work. Unless with the, just the caveat I'm going to say with radical differentiation. Radical differentiation is ex- extremely useful when you are before uh, crossing the chasm. So you are a, a brand in a small kind of category, subcategory, serving a niche, serving a specific type of people, and you're starting to scale and you don't really know where to go next and you're trying to cross the chasm. Radical differentiation doesn't really work for like big companies that are number one in the market because what they need is more distinctiveness and just mental availability, physical availability, you just need to be seen and be everywhere. And yeah, they can play with some campaigns, but you know, at this stage, you can't really touch the product. It's just you milking the cow until profits start to dry down and then they need to found a group of mavericks inside the company to launch something. And that, in that case, boom, radical differentiation starts again because you need to like carve a piece of the market that you want to go
0: into. I love that. So, so it's market share, not not market growth. I suppose it's a bit like when um, I've heard Dave Trott say that if you're the market leader, don't call me. You don't need me. Exactly. But if you want to steal some, you get you get me. Uh, can you? Um, I mean, I know I know you mentioned there that it works particularly well, and it makes complete sense in more kind of niche areas in in well, both B two B and B two C, regardless of market type. Can you can you name any brands or uh, give any examples of of companies that you believe do it well? Well, I'm going
1: to go about it in a very, very tangential, lateral way. For example, Marcelo Bielsa, the Argentinian football coach.
0: Yeah, yeah, leads manager.
1: Brilliant, radical differentiation expert without knowing he is, because he's challenging category convention in a game where you either play possession or play counterattack. And he's been an influence on every other big coaches like Pep Guardiola by merging the two and saying, no, you know what? All I give a shit about is scoring more goals than the rest. I don't care if you score three goals against me because I'm going to score more than you. And their players, his players are so fucking fit that they they do both possession and counter-attack, right? So that's radical. Yeah. That's fucking radical. And it's so radical that everyone just follows him and is so impressed and curious about what he does. And you know what? He backs his up as well. He only lives in a small apartment in Leeds. He doesn't have a villa. It's just, I love this kind of cases. Like Daft Punk is another example of radical differentiation, like comp- uh, an artist that did super well by uh, removing something that is being done by others, which is like producing as much music as they could. They only produced four albums, they only played in a handful of uh, venues, they only did one massive, like two massive world tours, uh, and then stopped, uh, never showed their faces. And kind of resolve this 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 this, this uh, conundrum of can you be famous without showing your face? I mean, just brilliant shit again, uh, but again, good fucking product, right? Music, musical geniuses who have learned on the go, and to go back to like more specific, very um, like specific company that doing that. I've actually asked my people on LinkedIn and Facebook the the companies that they thought were. Uh, radically different and so instead of me coming up with example let me give you a few that they said for example they said um patagonia like would be a, a one that, that 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 is doing it in one way shape or form because they go all in in one attribute which is the fighting climate change and, and 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 knowing that you can make money while making good products and and respecting the planet oddly is mentioned a lot you know this uh, they mentioned as well uh, spacex and then you have a lot of smaller niches. One like uh, Eddie Schneider uh, created this website called Very Good Copy, which is like so intense, direct response copywriting, like just over the over the top, full of value. And it's the only one who can claim that spot because it's just over delivering. Basecamp in the SaaS world, project management, where they are doing so many things against like what is traditionally done in the in the category, without. Without a lot of ads, actually, uh, competing against like Sana and whatnot. Uh, for Sigmatic, another one that kind of resolves this paradox of uh, coffee is good, gives you energy, but then you have a massive crash after a few hours. And they resolved it by offering mushroom-based coffee where you get a kick, but you don't get the crash. You know, liquid, liquid death, mountain water, like where they fucking go all in on challenging the idea that if you sell water, it doesn't have to be in single-use plastic that pollutes and kills wildlife, that you can do it in recyclable material. And then they play with it, and they go all the way in the attribute of murdering your thirst and stuff.
0: I remember someone sharing something on Liquid Liquid Death with me not long ago, but it's completely gone from my mind. So I'm, I'm really I'm really pleased you brought that up. But no, they're great examples. Personally, I love examples outside of our industry, and I think the Bielsa one is great. And and you're right, he's got so many disciples. It's not just Pep, is it? It's it's, it's, it's my... Uh, Favorite manager that's ever managed my club, Maurizio Pochettino, <laughs> um, who, who by the way says that Bielsa first signed him as a boy, yes, based on his legs because he saw he saw while he was asleep. Marcel Bielsa went to his quite small rural village in Argentina, and Maurizio was asleep, and he just looked at his legs and said, "Yeah, we'll t- we'll take him."
1: I know it's mad, uh, uh, and I thought I think he, he saw him. He made him play at training the first the first day, and just tell him to stop after 20 minutes for whatever reason. And I don't remember the exact convoluted reason, but what I, and and you're right to mention example outside of business and whatnot. And that's why I mentioned the first two to not be business because there is this like this obsession in specific categories and industries to only look at your own self and your own, like belly button and think that you 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 are you are reinventing fucking marketing and business and psychology all of a sudden and you should only look within your category. Like direct to consumer website like uh you know like selling pillows and mattresses online and whatnot, thinking that you're inventing the, the model of, of business or or SaaS, like software as a service. It's just a huge I mean I love what they're doing and all, but frankly I'm 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 kind of glad I'm out of it for a while because there is also this thinking that you need to reinvent the playbook, and everything is different because it's a subscription. And uh, just just look. My biggest advice there is like stop looking at your own like belly button and only your direct competitors and people in your category, and look way beyond it because there's so many good stuff out there and so many principles you can take away.
0: Totally. And, and it also, if you, if you only look within, whether you want to or not, or whether the wider team and stakeholders involved do it, it increases the chances of trying to replicate the example you're looking at. Whereas looking at people like Bielsa and Liquid Death and Daft Punk, they're all great examples, at least forces you to think why why they come to mind and what it is they do to be different the other example I'll, I'll lob in which i'm sure is familiar to you is the party cannon logo the the death death metal band which i know gets widely circulated but for good reason and and, and i think that it's it's um it's quite astonishing really that a death metal band from a from scotland is it clearly has a better grasp of marketing than lots of marketers but
1: they wouldn't say they are marketers you see and that's the beauty of it and and, and if they, were only, if they only had a multicolor logo against all the black and white Gothic-style logos, it would just be a gimmick. So that's also what is important here, is that radical differentiation is an entire identity, an entire culture of fucking going all the way in, in one direction and just without compromise. And if you only do one thing, it's a gimmick. If, if that Punk were producing shitty electro music from the iPad like everyone else is, and hiding their, their faces with helmets, it'd just be a gimmick. But it's not because it's congruent with everything else and congruence is so important people forget that or are scared of doing it because people tend to be afraid of missing out on stuff and so they in order to avoid making a choice between two things and committing they just hedge their bets above uh, along so many attributes that it just becomes average so i just wanted to say something about the like the, the the following your your category only uh, young Mi Moon, who wrote the book Different, which is a very good book, I encourage anyone to listen to, to to buy it, talks about it in terms of self-organizing system, like a flock of birds. That basically, as soon as you follow your direct competitors too closely or category too closely, you basically behave like a flock of birds with three rules. Uh, avoid crowding or colliding into nearby birds, keep us with nearby birds, drift in the direction of nearby birds. Basically y- you just fucking follow each other and that's all you do. And 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 then she says, this is what happens inside a category. The more contested the category, the more hyper vigilant, the more responsive to changes. And the view from inside is very different from the outside view. And then she says, imagine a category where no competitors know what the others are doing. And that's kind of a thought experiment. Like, can you like, what if you stop looking at what direct competitors are doing and just focus on the market you seek to serve? What will happen?
0: That sounds great. I've not read that book. If you, I'll uh, I'll link to that in the in the listing. With a nod to the pandemic and lockdown and all the ways it's manifested itself. Do you think it has potentially become easier to come up with unconventional ideas during the pandemic for businesses and brands? Partly because you get that first mover advantage, but also the rule book was ripped up in a way, albeit the fundamentals remain constant.
1: Well, I think we've been living in an example of of systemic changes and how people's behavior change based on a threat or something that is changing around them that makes them act all of a sudden. So if anything, what we need to reverse engineer here is realizing how critical that is for marketers to understand what are the triggers and the, the, the systemic changes that make people do something or start to take action in their life. So this is a great example because, I mean, great, all things considered, obviously. Uh, just to look at the marketing length here, it's a it's an example to look into how people behave because there is such a massive external trigger in their life that make them just seek to change. They have to change, and so they they decide to start looking for solution like uh, video call softwares and stuff. But in a more subtle way, if you look at other type of triggers, it it works the same way, right? So it, it, when you turn thirty or forty, like the big the big five oh are critical. In, in people's life and it makes them take decisions that they wouldn't take otherwise or like big life events are known to be a massive trigger in people's uh, life for example uh, or seeing an ad or like so i think this is a misunderstood concept is this trigger idea of like people don't buy your thing because they like it it's because they are experiencing a series of triggers that make them take the decision to say you know what i'm gonna i need to do this thing i need to solve that pain i need to do whatever so to go back to your initial question i don't think it's easier to come up with an unconventional idea it's just that if anything every single company in the world have been exposed to a systemic change that forced them to to do something about it but if this systemic change and if this trigger was experienced internally without the need for a pandemic to make them say you know what let's do something fucking different because we are in an overcrowded market then i think we'll all be better off.
0: I like your reference of the, I think Richard Shotton calls them nine enders, doesn't he? The 29 year olds, 39 year olds of which, you know, I am one. So I think that's a dig at how old I'm getting. <laughs> yes. um, the. the st- <laughs> I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> nope. I mean, the kind of statistics behind it are overwhelming aren't they They i i'm, I'm going to misquote richard i think the the chances that you run a marathon for example or get divorced or buy a ridiculously overpriced sports car increased by a factor of seven eight nine maybe even more if your age ends in a nine it's, it's just astonishing
2: so
1: like major life event, like pregnancy uh moving to a new house uh, divorce all of that, you need to be very, very cognizant of that in, in your customers, because you might be very well selling a product that is like responsible for that. So um, actually I actually have the book in front of me, that, like Richard Shuttons. The the, the, the actual stat is nine-landers are just more likely to make big, decisive steps, good or bad, to change their life. Data from the sports website, atlinks.com, showed that there were 48% more likely to enter marathons for the first time than other age groups.
0: Yeah, and and again, I think it's important as well to understand and, and recognize that it's factors outside of your control that that dictate this. Like you was talking about, you you call them triggers, which is a, which is the perfect way of of um, trying to articulate what they are. Other things outside of your control trigger them. It doesn't mean you can't become aware of them and act accordingly, but crucially, they're not something that you your your finger isn't on the trigger. These are these are controlled elsewhere.
1: You know what? I can give you a quick list because there is a finite number of triggers that make people say, let's fucking do something right now. So Alan Clement is a thinker on like the job to be done theory, and I like what he does because he's extremely scientific and he brings a bit of fucking data to this world of marketing that needs, desperately needs some. So there's basically, I think, 11 type of triggers. Anticipated events. So it's something that you expect that something will happen. Unexpected events, something happened that caught you by surprise, like typical pandemic. Repeated events, something that has happened in the past, has happened again, like birthdays. Advertisement. So that's absolutely a trigger when you see an ad. People don't want to know that, don't want to say that they are being uh, exposed to, but direct response is a traditional one. Word of mouth is another one. Observed use, So it's not like someone told you, is that you've seen someone else do it or use it. A positive experience with a product. So you you consumed it and you liked it, so you want to make progress in your life further. A negative experience in a different way. You've made progress, so you've, you've already done something, and now it's time for the next one. Let's say you move to a new house, and now you need something else. A job became done, so the desired progress was made, and then what he calls lower order job to be done. Seeking progress somewhere else causes the desire for progress elsewhere. So it's a bit like scientific like a bit buzzwordy, a bit complex stuff, but like the, the very, raw summary is that unless you know why people decide that, you know what, I'm going to look for this, I'm going to buy that. uh, Your job as a marketer is much more difficult.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. And actually, that's a more accurate way of looking at it instead of it being outside of your control, because obviously, some of them are directly in your control, i.e. the advertising and and comms part, but uh, word of mouth and, and, and a few of the others are indirectly controllable.
1: Yeah, exactly. But your job as a marketer is to be aware consumers experience their triggers where when with whom is the, the core thing like if everyone who buys a product tends to be at the beach then you know what to do next right and it's like this is what annoys me a bit with this thinking of you need to test everything you need to test every channel and see which one works and test every fucking world in the planet to see which one sticks and i agree you need to test stuff and you never know what's really going to work but there are some data that you can gather before that makes the job a bit easier
0: yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. Well said. I, I want to get into and lob a couple of listener questions at you, but before I do, can we just quickly touch on the um, marketing uh, course that you now operate? Yeah. Can you can you tell us more about that and, and how it's going? Because it's early days, I know, but I've um, I've certainly seen lots of signs of success.
1: It's called Stand the Fuck Out. It's an eight week high intensity program for risk takers who want to make their brand radically stand out. It's the I I kind of practice what I preach, it's the only program of this kind. Like there's no others that offers that. And that's because I felt there was a big fucking gap. So i try to fill it. It's limited to 20 people every single time. I run it twice a year. And it's limited to 20 people, not to create some sort of uh, false sense of scarcity, but because I get in this program, I get to know everyone of the 20. I answer their questions every day in the community. I coach them every week. 101, I mean, part of the group, but like I get to talk to them for like 10, 15 minutes every single week at least to like unstuck them. And that's why it's high intensity. It's not just a fucking course that you watch and you never do anything about. It's really, you watch the framework, you practice and actually execute on the thing. And the assignments and the thing you have to do are not like, you know, made up and just like fancy in a fantasy world. They are actually things you need to do in your business right now including talking to customers and shipping stuff and seeing what sticks and whatnot. So it's, I'm running at the time we're recording this, I'm running cohort number two with 20 people. And then cohort number three is going to be in September of this year.
0: And it's not just theory. That's the key thing for me. Too many consultants there who are clued up on theory and have done very little in practice. So that's awesome. Listener questions then, uh, Louis. So asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger. Um, We've got two, starting with Sean. I really like this one. He asks, can you use radical differentiation in non-marketing contexts, for example, when applying for a job or even online dating? So obviously we've talked about Bielsa and Daft Punk and so on and so forth, but... I'd love your take on 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 that, especially the online dating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In anything, like, and this is kind of the the beauty of this process, which is you can apply it to anywhere, uh, to to everything where you need to get something, like you need to to get a result, you know, in one way, shape, or form. So, for online dating, what I would do is I would try to find a way to challenge one of the conventions of of what is typically being done. Like one of the exercises I make people do is. To tag the category you're in, so like in this case, it would be Tinder profiles, and list down everything that is typically done in that aspect. So pictures, what's inside the picture, what type of poses, description, what is being typically said, the way you answer the first message, the way you send the first message. You know, you can as soon as you go into that world, it just opens up a brand new world of oh my god, I could do so many things. It's crazy. So yes, it's applicable to to that. In a more serious note, I actually uh, held a hot seat, free hot seat group coaching session in January of this year, where uh, people could submit challenges like that, asking me questions and I would answer them live and they'd come up on the stage and I would like chat with them for a bit. And someone asked, you know, I'm looking for a job. I've been laid off. How do I apply that? Thank you. And that's what I, what I said was basically, absolutely. The first step of radical differentiation is to, apart from challenging your beliefs, which, uh, which is not something I necessarily we have a lot of time to cover, but the, the very first step after that is to pick and develop your minimum viable market, the people you seek to serve. And so, in a, in a in a job finding situation, too many times it's like a, a shotgun approach where you just apply to as many jobs as possible because you are struggling and you need money, and I understand that. But very much like in anything in radical differentiation, the fewer things you do, the better. And so, I advise them to just identify the very core the type of companies they really really want to work with that they admire the type of product they use every day or services they use and identify them and make a list and then think about okay how do i make sure that i get their attention and how do i go away from the conventions of the traditional let's submit a cv and a fucking sample uh like a, a cover letter and all of that what can you do differently and so usually there's an objection to this They say oh well but that's how people recruit like the hr they, they need CV and cover letter to which i say yes fine but then maybe you should apply uh, without like the job ad in in any industry people hire without posting job ads or at least uh, in a lot of them you can you can get away from that so what can you do to make people pay attention to you and say and the recruiter would say fuck that's the first time i'm getting this so like there's so many things uh, send donuts over the post with a fucking note, like do a campaign for them, do a LinkedIn ad just for them. Like this, there's so many, well, as soon as you list down what's being done, then the only quote unquote question is what can you do differently? What can you do that is not being done? Or what can you do that other category are doing that, that found success? And that's why it's so important to have a swap file with you, like of stuff that you notice yourself, the type of product you bought in the past, the type of ads that made you laugh, that educated you in some way, you know? Like, and then when, once you get to this point of, okay, now I need to come up with something, then you can look at for inspiration. So short answer, absolutely. You can use that for everything. That's the beauty of it.
0: That's a yeah, great answer. Great answer. There's um a psychologist, Von Restorff. Yes. I'm not sure if she would describe herself or would have done as a psychologist, but the whole gestalt traditions that I've, Dave Trott's got a very popular way of looking at it, where it's nine O's and one X. And it is about that. It's called the bizarreness effect, isn't it? Just something that stands out. It's true in all walks of life.
1: Exactly. I mean, that's one of the key reasons why it works. But it's that touches on distinctiveness as a like it's traditionally seen this like von restoff effect, which is like you notice something that stands out from the rest, like the logo of a metal band that is like colored instead of black. But that touches on the topic of more like people thinking that it's just about visual assets, and it's not right. It's it's so deeper than that. It's really about radical differentiation. The formula is the only whatever in that category, so the only CRM software that provides that value, I hate the word value, but basically that helps you solve that pain or does that thing for that minimum variable market, right? And the intersection of the three makes you radically different, but you can't take just one of them and say, let's make that thing different. you It's the intersection of the three. So it's very likely that you might have a product that looks similar than the rest, but if you only do it for a specific group of people and make it therefore like unique in that sense, different in that sense, then you also achieve differentiation. So I just wanted to make that point as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. So I think we and it's too easy to be too um prescriptive, isn't it? I've lost count how many times a client or or even a colleague has asked whether it's best to send a html email or a plain text email, rather than have the conversation about what's in the fucking email let's make the email right because because the honest answer is it doesn't really matter i mean it could be either but we you know we like to formulate don't we
1: do you know why because we love to spend time on details because we're afraid of of the of failing and so we would spend six months doing an rfp trying to find the best agency and we would obsess over improving conversion rate on our website by two percent by changing the fucking colors Instead of thinking of the entire the thing you're fucking selling, uh, I love what Mark Reeson said in in the book Eat Your Greens about communification, He calls it, which is only eight percent of your job as a marketer uh, to just communicate that thing. And he says, um, you remove promotion out of the four P's, you could you still have a very very good chance to make to be successful because you have a good fucking product, a good fucking price, you know, in in places that people are, and you know, and and that's the thing, right? It's like we tend to over-optimize the tiny little detail of thinking of the bigger fucking picture, like the impact that you can have making a good product is much bigger than optimizing the fucking conversion rate in the checkout.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I've misquoted Richard once already on this podcast. So so rather than do it again, I think he writes, or it might be an article, it might be in the book, I'm not sure. He writes about bike shedding, I think, which is a a term which sums up. uh, Bike shedding. bike shedding, it's based on, I'll, I'll, you know, fuck it, I'll, um, I'll, I'll misquote him. It's based on a meeting between two two significant parties, I'm assuming government, but for the purposes of this conversation, let's just assume that I'm correct, discussing the plans for a nuclear power plant, of course, which 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 contains all sorts of, you know, hugely volatile risks. And apparently the meeting only lasted a few minutes up until there was a, a debate about where to put the bike shed where employees right. could park their bikes and that conversation took up you know the vast majority of the meeting love that never heard of it yeah bike shedding if you i'll link to it in this episode too brilliant a uh, question two is from jenna jenna says what is the most important thing you've taken from interviewing a guest on your podcast same to you giles so I've had a heads, heads up on this one, so I'm happy to go first. <laughs> go ahead. Because <laughs> I knew this was coming. But for me, it's something you touched on earlier as well, which which kind of made me think that it was a it was the right one. And for me, it's that fear of failure thing. And I've, I know I've banged on about this in the past, but that fear of failure holds everyone back, not just me, not just you, not just people, people listening. And I firmly believe there's a correlation and the ones who succeed are the ones who have failed the most. But it's becoming familiar with that. And, and accepting of that because not only are you more likely to succeed and I've heard so many guests say the same thing they wish they'd advised their younger self to just you know try a bit more but you also you maximize your chances of getting lucky which is massively understated in life and a quick shout out to Andy Nairn who's written uh go luck yourself which isn't out yet despite I, I pre-ordered it in January Andy and it still hasn't arrived but I think um I think he he goes I think he goes deep on luck there and it's about time someone did.
1: That's a nice and someone I mean, life is measured by the number of decisions you make and the number of shit you do, because that's the only thing you can control. Right? And that's it's it's extremely simplistic, but it's the truth. Like the only thing you can control is is what you do, uh, uh how you think, like uh, about this. So that's that's a difficult thing to grasp. Uh and to go beyond that, it's like you achieving achieving success or doing what you want to do is not going to be you're still going to be the same person right so don't expect to reach when you reach 1 million in, in your business to, to be this entirely new person the person you are today will be the same than uh when you get 1 million and so that removes this entire fucking psyche around it's going to be different it's not so you might as well enjoy today and just try new shit and so what if it fails you need to try it again? That's the only thing you can do. So that's, I, lo- I love that. I, for, for my, uh, my side, I, I'd say what I learned the most is that people get along with others and connect with others and buy from others based on psychographics, not demographics or thermographics. So it's really about what people want to do and what they believe and, and all of that. And once you lean on that, things get much easier and it's a fool's errand to try to make, to change their mind. It's much easier to just seek people who believe what you believe and, and uh and, and and i believe that marketing most marketing is bullshit instead of trying to convince someone else don't agree with me and that's why i had so much fun interviewing people is because for the vast majority excluding Neil patel they all agreed and i that's why i enjoy it the most it's like yeah when you when you find your people just it's just much easier
0: great answer great answer mate um the final part then uh louis is our four pertinent poses that we we put to everyone uh starting with what advice would you give to your younger self
1: pretty much everything i said already like you just yeah. <laughs> fucking do something and, and do it better next time and, and life is short you know
0: cool uh number two if you could banish one thing from the industry what would it be and why
1: i would remove marketing automation
0: uh, <laughs> number three are there i know you've mentioned one or two already but are there any books that you would recommend to our listeners
1: yeah uh purple cow uh, different by young Moon, zag by martin Umeer, uh eat your greens build uh, how brands grow by baron sharp uh, building distinctive assets by his colleague sapiens by Yuval noah harari which is on the history of mankind uh, that's enough
0: <laughs> nice yeah perfect okay well come- a couple of those are actually a uh, surprisingly Surprisingly new. I don't even think Zags come up. In fact, I don't even think Purple Cow's come up before from Seth. So, so that's good. Um, and then number four, Louis. We always dedicate every episode to somebody, and we bestow or hospital pass that honor to our guest who has to give the reason why. So, would you kindly dedicate this episode?
1: So, I, I dedicated it to my late grandmother, who, even though she never understood anything I was doing, still loved me and supported everything I was doing, uh, and you know, in two generations, the changes that society is going through and and all of that, the fact that she couldn't even understand what a fucking computer was, and and, but it didn't matter because at the end what stayed was the connection we had on and sorry to use to be super cliche, but on psychographics, meaning just we connected on fucking humor and laughing about the same thing. And weirdly enough, she died when she was nearly ninety. She was the closest person in my family, like to me. Even though I had cousins and uncles and aunts that were much closer to me, she was the one who was the closest to me. And so that, I think that speaks for itself in terms of everything we talked about before.
0: Yeah, amazing. Am I allowed a, a first name? Jeanette. Jeanette. Amazing. Yeah. Well this this episode is very proudly dedicated to Jeanette. Perfect. Thank you. How else can people get more Louis Grenier? just head over to everyonehightsmarketers.com
1: and you can get the newsletter there around radical differentiation and how to stand the fuck out and that's pretty much it i have a podcast the same name you can find it everywhere you listen to your podcast
0: perfect and it's far superior so i do listen to that i wouldn't say that (laughs) louis thank, thank you for joining us it's it's i've enjoyed it massively and it's been a yeah it's been a real pleasure a real pleasure to talk
1: You're so welcome. man, And thank you so much for doing what you're doing. We've been talking for an hour. And I know how difficult it is to be a host and to actively listen to ramblings from guests and steer them in the right direction. So I think that's something people take for granted in the world of podcasting and content and free shit. Um, Well done on, on what you're doing. I know it's not easy
0: thanks buddy I really appreciate that well thank you as well you know more so for giving us everything from the psychographics to Marcel Bielsa to all those 11 triggers it's been a wonderful episode and thank you to everyone listening if you've enjoyed this please share and review the pod keep questions and guest requests coming in to get in touch it's easy to find GASP online you can check out CTA Pod on Instagram or just email hello at calltoaction.co
2: try, and I try, and I try, and I try.